Liberal Fix is brought to you by Blue Push Media, news important to progressives and liberals across America. Good evening and welcome to this Friday night edition of Liberal Fix Radio. I'm your host, Keith Breckis, uh, broadcasting from Montana. I will be joined uh, by my co-host, Naomi, who's in California, and I'm just connecting her now because she got bumped off right before the show started. Are you there, Naomi? I am. Good after good evening, I guess. Not good afternoon. Well, it's almost I'm here. afternoon out there. But <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. And, and also, we have a guest on tonight. Our our guest will be uh, uh, Anthony Francosi um, from the Honest Marijuana Company. But before introducing him, I guess um, I should just for our listeners who are listening live. I'm sure that you've uh, aware of the news today that there have been a series of what. Uh, of terrorist attacks in in Paris, France, that appear to be ongoing still, or at least there's been a a tremendous uh, death toll and and a lot of a big crisis there. We don't know all the details of everything yet, but it appears to be a big terrorist attack. So here at the Liberal Six community, we just want to express our thoughts and hopes and prayers or whatever else for the people over there, and hopefully um, we can stop the carnage there and, and sort this out and and the city can be restored to some semblance of order after that, and and then the grieving families and and friends of people can start the healing process and we can figure out where to go from there. But I just want the community to know that our thoughts are with the people in France. And and maybe um, I'll just leave it at that. Um, We have, uh, I think, uh, a topic that maybe will help people as they're thinking about that, maybe something a little lighter topic here, but certainly something that's uh, important nevertheless, is we'll be talking uh, some about uh, federal marijuana policy and some of the presidential candidates and, and so on. But um, bef- but I, I should bring in our guest now. His name is Anthony Franchosi, and he runs uh, uh, the Honest Marijuana Company in, in uh, Colorado. And uh, maybe, Anthony, by way of introduction, you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe about your business as well. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me, and definitely want to reiterate the um, condolences to everything going on uh, across the pond there and hoping that uh, we see some resolution to that. But thank you for having me. And uh, um, Honest Marijuana Company, our goal is to create high-quality organic cannabis products for people in Colorado Um from a source that they know they can trust that is pesticide-free and chemical-free and um, a sustainable um, resource for cannabis products, um, both for medical and recreating. Do you have me on here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're still there. (laughs) Okay, okay. I'm sorry about Um, that. Oh, no, no problem. Yeah, sometimes there's a technical things but yeah i can still hear you there and how long i guess you've how long have you been operating that company i guess as long as it's been legal in the state or or were you sort of in at the ground floor or um i mean uh, not necessarily i mean i the cannabis laws uh in colorado were enacted medically in 2003 um in 2008 2007 area we started to see kind of a medical dispensary model. Um, I recently started my business in the past year. Um, so a lot of those uh, medical folks who have been participating in the industry since the mid-2000s were the first ones to receive the licenses on the recreational side of the world. So um, kind of the first wave of people getting in strictly on that recreational side, but uh, so we've been operating for about a year now. We're, um, we're well, fairly new to the industry, but I've been in the state for about 10 years now and kind of have watched how the uh, medical push towards recreational uh, unfolded and have been able to kind of position myself that way. I see. Very good. And... In- um, turning to politics, I guess many of our listeners grew up during the, the Reagan years when the war on drugs was sort of in can, full swing. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, I can hear you now. 
Go ahead. Are you still there, Naomi? Uh, I'm not sure if she's having trouble with her phone, um, so I'll I'll continue. I guess turning to politics, uh, many of our listeners grew up during the Reagan era when the war on drugs was in full swing, and even then public attitudes towards marijuana were, I guess, probably more nuanced than the attitudes towards some other illegal drugs. But at that time, legalization uh, in many states would have, or in any state, would have seemed like a pipe dream. Um, how has public opinion on uh, marijuana shifted in the last uh, couple of decades? Well, I think you saw in the early years of marijuana prohibition, which I guess was in the you know, early part of this century, but um, as things went forward, there was a lot of um, yellow advertising and um, propaganda as far as uh, reefer madness and those types of things are concerned. But um, as time sure. has kind of gone on here, you've seen more interest in the the medicinal side of the industry. And I I think you'd have to kind of point out the the leaders in the industry, um, or maybe not even in the industry, but in kind of the underground culture of cannabis, people like Rick Simpson, who have been advocates of cannabis for many decades and have um, kind of fought this battle on the front line with the government as far as creating medicine for people cancer patients, epilepsy patients, um, you know, war veterans um, with post-traumatic stress disorder, things of that nature, and people have been advocates of the medicine for so long. And so as time went away from that prohibition era with all the yellow advertising and kind of anti-marijuana propaganda that took place, and we've moved towards this kind of more medicinal movement, um, that's really been what has paved the way for the recreational side. And I think when you going from one spec- side of the spectrum to the other, we're moving towards more of this, uh, what I consider to be like the wine industry, where we're creating um, recreational products, but not necessarily that are detrimental to society. Um, and on the positive side, of this, there's extreme medicinal value for the people who, um, who in some cases are finding this plant to be highly valuable medicinally, uh, and for many different types of of illnesses. So, um, going, you know, I, I grew up in New Jersey, um, in a Catholic family. My grandfather, my father never condoned, uh, marijuana use. Um, and my grandfather's later years in his life um his wife had brain cancer he had he he had parkinson's uh, when you start to look into the medicinal benefits of the plant um all of a sudden we're having a conversation that never really took place before and so i think that's one thing that has come a long way as far as the conversation with those uh with that generation um so i think that's really where the future is as in the medical side of things but as far as the recreational side i think we're we're finding that the uh the benefits vastly outweigh the cons for sure so sure and i know like um one of the things i've kind of noticed that is in terms of sort of the attitudes towards certainly towards decriminalization but even towards legalizing marijuana seems to me has been one of the um sort of bigger shifts in public opinion. I mean, maybe the only thing that's been bigger maybe is the radical change in people's sort of um, approval of gay marriage when it went from something where only like 20% of American people maybe a decade ago were in favor and now it's a majority. But one thing, I, um, when I was uh, in 2004, I, I lived in Columbia, Missouri, which is a college town. I guess that's getting a lot of attention right now. But, um, but when we... Um, I worked on two ballot measures that we circulated petitions for, which was to legalize medical marijuana in the city um, and to uh, decriminalize uh, under 35 grams, I think, to to make it just like a traffic ticket, basically, if people were caught with with uh, an amount smaller than that. And and the only reason I bring that up is is we were kind of – they both got on the ballot, and then on Election Day we were a little bit surprised that – uh, medical marijuana carried every single precinct in the city, um, regardless of whether that precinct went for John Kerry or George Bush. So it wasn't 
it wasn't a Democrat or Republican thing like a lot of issues are. I mean, there might have been some partisan differences, but basically uh, blue precincts and red precincts were both in favor of medical marijuana and the smart sentencing, which was to basically make a small amount of marijuana like a traffic ticket, also thinks in the city, and I think there's 50 or 60. There's quite a few precincts in the town. So it, it was kind of interesting that it felt like one of those issues where there wasn't a big partisan divide. You had sort of libertarian Republicans and liberal Democrats coming together um, to vote for it, regardless of who they supported in the political realm. And, and that was kind of exciting. And, and I guess um, um, now we've seen with the states um, that Colorado and uh, and uh, Washington, Oregon, and Alaska have legalized uh, recreational marijuana, as has the District of Columbia. Do you think other states are soon to follow this trend and maybe any ideas on which ones might be the most likely to do so next? Well, um, most recently, I think the last piece of legislature the country saw was in Ohio, which they were trying oh, to right. approve a, rec a recreational measure, but uh, the wrong model where um, they were yeah. going to give 10, 10 grow licenses to 11 million people. And so they created another measure to kind of oppose it. And I think that's a, that's, there's something to be said for the cannabis industry in that respect, because the people are paying attention, which maybe um, the people who created that bill didn't think they would because they used a, a, a shiny van with a cartoon character to get petitions um, petition signatures for for their bill, but um, states like Colorado, states like Alaska, uh, Oregon, Washington, they're allowing small business to take place, and they're allowing people who don't necessarily have uh, an extraordinary amount of capital to get licenses. And what I think um, the positive thing about what those states are doing by allowing the kind of free market to take place is you're taking away the advantage of the underground market um, because the best people can kind of thrive. And if you're involved in that industry already, you can go be involved and get a license and do your due diligence and prove that you're not a criminal and those types of things. So um, moving forward, um, we're seeing a lot of different models in other states as far as um, some like Florida taking the non-flower CBD only kind of almost a hemp model um, but I think you know we're gonna we're gonna see uh, some more states move to that recreational side of the world. Absolutely, um, I there's been some talk of New Jersey. Um, I think there's states like Vermont and New Hampshire would most likely be the next. But um, the the Ohio bill has really been the most uh, present on the forefront of recreational laws and. Uh, it was good to see that people are paying attention to what's happening in that world and kind of turning down this, this kind of what I consider to be a bad form of recreational legalization. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of things, and what we might have realized from the Ohio voters, had they crafted the bill in a way that didn't allow for sort of <laughs> a, a monopoly on it or, or you know, some monopoly yeah, if they had written the yeah. bill well, it may have passed or at least come very close to passing. And in Ohio is sort of not what people usually think think of as a as a prototypical sort of liberal or libertarian state. So if it could pass in Ohio, it could possibly do well in many other states. And and I, I don't Absolutely. I lost track of what number of states allow medical marijuana, but it's quite a few now, so that's a, also a good thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's in the high 20s, I think, at this point, and some with different models than others, but um, like what happened in Colorado and other states have approved recreational laws, um, the, the, uh, proving that the medicinal program can work and helps people who need this kind of compassionate care is definitely the gateway towards getting the recreational market put in place. And uh, I, I think, like I said, um, I'm a firm advocate in that cannabis is not a harmful drug by any means, and it can be used in a very similar way to uh, a fine wine um, and with even less um, negative impact than alcohol in many cases. So 
Um, the medical side is definitely where the focus needs to be on, but moving forward, I think we're, we're definitely going to see the states who have medical programs be the ones who first look into the recreational side. Sure. And I wanted to see if Naomi made it back in. I know you were having phone troubles. Are you there, Naomi? I am. I am so sorry. My phone was oh, no problem. <laughs> going crazy. I am so sorry. I, oh, no, I've blame your enjoying... server. Blame the cell phone company. So. <laughs> I've been I've been enjoying listening to you, but I wanted to ask um, Anthony. Tell me, what are some of the advantages of legalizing marijuana? You know, why aren't more states quick to quicker to get on the the track for this? What are well, what I are some advantages those, that you see those, of it? Those long term stigmas um, created by reefer badness and those types of um, publications. I mean, oh, uh, I think what you're seeing now in our state is, for one, when you talk about the tax revenue, that's a great thing, but we're also seeing the people who need compassionate care get the medicine that they need. Um, cannabis oil um, is a whole side of the medicinal world that I feel like has been totally left out of the Western pharmacopoeia. Um, but uh, as far as why we're not passing things, first of all, I think people are figuring out who's going to make money, which is part of the which is part of the problem and one of the bright sides of why we just saw this Ohio bill fail um, with responsible Ohio. But um, m- moving forward, you know, th- this idea that cannabis is a gateway drug and things like that, you know, you're still dealing with a lot of these stigmas that existed for so long, and so it's hard to outweigh those things with the positive side, but I think as um, the education spreads as far as the benefits of cannabis and um, that reefer madness mentality kind of fades away and you see that recreational use isn't harming anyone and um, you're seeing in Colorado now that the the police force is being able to focus on more important crimes and cannabis use and uh, things of that nature. So a lot of positive statistics on that side of the world also. I I wanted to, to follow up on, on that about talking about um, something positive out of that. Um, speaking about of Colorado and um, maybe finding ways to make this um, out in the media more popular and that it's something that might be um, you know, something that people, legislators would look into, legislators would look into more in a positive way rather than, like you said, shy away from it. Um, I just read an article, I'm not sure which day, but anyway, it it talks about um, in Colorado, um, I'm not sure which county, I want to say it's Pueblo, and I'm trying to find it quickly as I'm I'm talking to you because I don't want to give out misinformation, but maybe if you if you know what I'm talking about, uh, either either one of you, please jump in. Um, I think it's in 2017. Um, high school graduates are going to be able to um, turn um, to college to college scholarships that are actually funded by the marijuana tax. And I'm looking for this article. I'm so sorry. I had wanted to pull it up sooner. Here it is. Um, on Tuesday, 60% of voters in Pueblo County approved a measure that will phase in an increase in taxes, 5% by 2020, on marijuana growers to fund college scholarships and other community projects. The county is expected to raise $3.5 million with this tax increase, and at least half the revenue will go toward funding scholarships for high school graduates in Pueblo to attend local colleges. Depending on revenue, the program might be expanded in future years. The whole point, this is a quote, the whole point of the scholarship program was to make higher education a reality for families who cannot afford to send their kids to school because of debt, said Paris Carmichael, a spokesman for Pueblo County. The money not used by the college scholarship program will be dedicated to a long list of community projects that includes enhancing a playground at an elementary school, funding a study about extending an Amtrak route to the county, and replacing golf carts at a lo- at a local golf course. The challenge for the county will be how well Pueblo can manage educating minors in staying away from the recreational marijuana use and encourage the growth and development of that industry at the same time, said Tyler Henson, the president of the Colorado Cannabis Chamber of Commerce. So it, this looks like it's like the first of its kind. I'd never heard of this before. Uh, obviously, you know, the legalization and what 
uh, states are doing with the marijuana taxes are, you know, everybody's kind of doing their own uh, whatever's best for them. But I thought this was very interesting and very creative and certainly something that would be on the positive side for this. Uh, have either of you heard of this before? I I just read it this week. I I actually hadn't heard it before. I know when the original the voting was going on for recreational marijuana in the state of Colorado, there was a, a lot of the money was supposed to go towards schools, and this might be um, a way to more directly channel the funds in that particular mm-hmm. area for local people, which I think is absolutely incredible. And one right, of the things, right. another another positive note from the um, legalization of cannabis is that by making it so you have to show your driver's license, making it so you have to be 21, access becomes more difficult because a lot of these people who were involved in the underground market of cannabis have gotten licenses, moved towards the more um, or absolutely um, legal side of the world. So when I was a young person, or a little younger, I should say, uh, it was easier to find marijuana than alcohol if I was underage so mm-hmm. what you're what we're seeing now is that uh it's harder for young people to get cannabis with the recreational laws passing because um that underground market isn't um flourishing and when you see the tax revenue that comes in positive programs like the one you're describing can take place and i think that's ultimately uh, what needs to happen? Cannabis use has taken place in all 50 states for the last as many years as they existed, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, to put the tax money towards positive use and allow people who are uh, abiding by the laws to maintain those businesses is uh, paramount, I think. Yeah, no, I yeah, I, I, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, Go ahead, Keith. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, I would agree with that. And, of course, I, I know when I went to school, at least in junior high, it was easier to get a hold of marijuana than alcohol because <laughs> that underground market. So, so I agree with that point, too. Oh, my uh, gosh, are, are, we, to... are we going to start to air our dirty laundry? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not dirty anymore. It's not dirty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anthony, uh, Anthony, President, Anthony, President Obama admitted to it, so I figure I figure there's no there's no ceiling on people who've admitted to marijuana use and their use. So. Yeah. And, and, and well, you just Anthony, say you didn't inhale, also, right? That's another. Uh, oh yeah, well, I did inhale. Option. I figured if I was going to take a puff, I might as well enjoy it. But, um. yeah. And Anthony, Anthony's got that smooth voice where he's going to he's going to hypnotize us into starting to admit things that we don't want. Oh yeah. <laughs> I just uh, want to bring no. up. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Oh yeah, I did want to bring up one thing that happened on the federal level that I didn't know if anybody had been following closely, but I think in the uh, fiscal year 2016 uh, Veterans Affairs Appropriations Bill, um, uh, some senators, I believe it was Rand Paul of Kentucky, uh, the Republican, who's also running for president, but but it's reasonably good on this issue. And uh, Democrats Cory Booker uh, from New Jersey and Kirsten Gillibrand, I think, put the amendment in there, and then the people carrying water for it in the Senate are uh, liberal senator from Oregon, Jeff Merkley, but also my own senator, a Republican from Montana, Steve Daines, who I don't agree with on almost anything, who, who actually seems like um, <laughs> is doing something good for a change because what they did is they – there's a writer in the bill that would allow veterans in medical marijuana states at least to be treated as um, to be able to discuss marijuana as a possible treatment for, for example, for illnesses or chronic conditions or things that medical marijuana could treat. And so um, it's probably not a big deal because um, some of the people are probably getting, can get treatment anyways, but at least uh, usually the federal government has kind of been off off on the wrong side on this because it's still class A scheduled drug or all that nonsense. So it's good to see people in the U.S. Senate sort of coming around on that too. <laughs> so um, absolutely, you know, I mean that's incredible at the state level. Yeah, yeah, and you can imagine yeah. as a veteran to be denied that uh, the use of something if you find it beneficial to you, it has no toxic side effects. 
I mean, why wouldn't you be allowed to use something like that? The the statistics are overbearing as far as the benefits compared to any other way to self-medicate uh, between pharmaceuticals, alcohol, whatever else you whatever else you could come up with. So uh, we we need to find a way to uh, allow people to use it, tax it, and 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 that's it. Yeah, and maybe the yeah, most and- encouraging out of that vote is it came out of committee 18 to 12, but it was it's one of the few votes any anymore that was a bipartisan vote. I mean, the people on both sides, it wasn't like just this neat partisan split or just one or two people crossing over. It was it was kind of a you know a, a sort of a, a kind of an almost an even split between the parties between people who think it's a good idea and people who are still stuck in the old ways. But go ahead, Naomi. No, I was just I was just going to ask about you know if Anthony has anything he wants to share about the candidates that are up as on the Democratic side. We we know that um, at the last at the very first debate, Senate or uh, Secretary of State Clinton had said that she um, definitely wanted more information on marijuana being used for medicinal purposes, and that uh, Senator Sanders absolutely would vote for the legalization of marijuana. Um, do you have any, I mean, he, and he's in Vermont, which you had mentioned earlier was a state that might be leaning towards legalizing it. Um, do you have any, any feelings either way on who you kind of see as more of a proponent? Um, or do you, well, are I mean, you happy that they're at least they're both open? I, I'd love to hear any candidate who says they're open to medical research. Um, First and foremost, the people who can benefit from cannabis oil should have access. Um, we're not talking about using the drug at that point for recreating. So first point, absolutely love to see any candidate for that. Um, Bernie Sanders obviously is the most open, I feel like, in the whole presidential uh, race here towards federal decriminalization. Um, which needs to happen at some point to allow businesses like myself to bank so that my employees can have a 401k or right. medical or, you know, the things that they they need. I'm trying to create um, manufacturing-style, you know, blue-collar job for people to uh, hopefully buy homes and start families and do the things that they want to do. Um, but as far as um, the pr- the Democratic side of the presidential race is concerned, I think... It's nice to hear um, Hillary say that she would be open to states operating um, the way that they choose. But I think you're hearing that um, that story kind of on both sides. Um, seems sure. like uh, Donald Trump, Ben Carson, uh, Ben Carson kind of less of a fan than Trump, I guess, if they were doing it on like a A through F grade, but. Um, definitely, I, I don't see any big unless some magical uh, being appears and Chris Christie is elected as a president. Um, he <laughs> seems to be the the far away anti cannabis um, voice in the whole thing. But um, I also hear a lot of talk about uh, legalization in New Jersey, which is the state that I'm from. So I pay a little attention over there. So. Um, yeah, go ahead. Um, what can you what can you tell us about the amount of money that's been spent on um, research versus the amount that's been spent on um, addiction and abuse? I, I know that uh, there's been research from 2008 to 2014 from the National Institute of Health that showed that there was 1.1 billion spent on research for studying abuse and addiction and only 297 million was spent on medical benefits for those suffering from conditions like chronic pain or um, even children who were suffering from seizures, things like that where parents wanted to use um, the cannabis as a form of, you know, let's try this, see if this will help with the seizures. The yeah. medication that they're, that, they're, that they're using is just, you know, too, the side effects are too, too traumatic. Let's try this. But there, there, there just doesn't seem to me, you know, share with us what you know about that. There doesn't seem like there's enough money being spent on actually the benefits of it. It's always kind of the study to, about the abuse and addiction, which, of course, is important. 
But now if we can see that there are specific um, areas where there are, you know, um, tangible improvements where we can track now and say, you know, this person definitely is doing better with it or, you know, even I have, um, I'll be delicate here, I have a a friend who had a relative that was going through um, chemotherapy and they uh, used that and it definitely got uh, her through the treatments. Um, Yeah. So, Tell us about that. Well, I I, I think um, the first thing I guess I would need to be pointed out is that, um, well, for one, people are scared to admit to the use of cannabis, and as far as um, why there's more money being spent on the the criminalization of cannabis rather than the beneficial side, um, the pharmaceutical companies don't make money off any of this, uh, as far as the um, <laughs> as far as the medical side, in my opinion. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, I lost both my grandparents in the past year, one to brain cancer and one to Parkinson's disease. Um, there's oh. been a lot of research done to uh, on brain cancer and how whole plant cannabis oil can shrink tumors and things like that. But it's hard to get people from this generation to um, talk about it and necessarily to use it. I brought my grandmother CBD oil, um, which has been proven to um, be vastly helpful for cancer patients um, in their treating the side effects of chemo drugs, in some some cases replacing them, um, in some cases shrinking tumors. Um, but to have that conversation, uh, I, you know, you could put the medicine in front of somebody and then have them say, you know, oh, I'm not going to try that pot stuff, you know, even though you have the conversation and it's there, it's hard to bridge that gap. So um, th- that's really part of it. And I and I think there's so much financial um, backing to the cannabis industry now that it's almost they're slowing it down to figure out the best way to capitalize, which is the scary part, because um, cannabis isn't meant to be farmed in a monocrop fashion. They've already created synthetic THC. It doesn't work like the real thing. So um, that's, you know, uh, I guess I'm probably getting off topic at this point, and maybe you can recenter me here. Oh, no, you're doing fine. But one thing I, I did want to... Um, just for our listeners, uh, we mentioned a little bit about the presidential candidates, but you had said if you could grade them on an A through F grade. And what's interesting is I, I dug up from the Marijuana Policy Project. Um, they basically gave all the presidential candidates grades on their positions towards, I guess, marijuana policy, if you will, both for medical and, and recreational. And and uh, it's kind of interesting because, uh, as as you might expect, uh, on the Democratic side, Bernie Sanders got an A, and and Hillary Clinton isn't too much worse. I guess her openness, she earned a B grade, and Martin O'Malley got a B minus. So all the Democrats came out pretty well, the ones that are in the race. But but the Republican side is kind of interesting because, uh, of course, Rand Paul, as you might expect, had the best grade. He had an A minus, but well, what might surprise people is the next best grade was uh, Mike Huckabee was a B minus, and. Actually, Huckabee's public statements on marijuana have mostly been pretty bad, but but his openness to letting the states decide sort of his state's rights position uh, with regard to that issue, he doesn't seem to see the same way when it comes to gay marriage. But on marijuana, he's basically thrown his hands up and said, well, let the states decide. So I guess they gave him a decent score there because they figure the states are going <laughs> to, you know, some of them are going to legalize it. And then some of the other candidates who don't do much worse are uh, uh, Carly Fiorina and Ted Cruz got a C plus and, and Donald Trump got a C. So, I mean, those people are somewhat open. So so that's kind of good news considering how dogmatic the Republicans are on some other issues. But I, I think you raise a good point at the bottom of the pack. There's two people who earned upgrades. One of them is uh, uh, Rick Santorum and, and the other one is Chris Christie. I mean, those people are both at the, kids' table debate, so I don't think either one of them is going to be the nominee, but they're they're still in the sort of 
um, old school reefer madness drug warrior mode. We got to you know lock up people for smoking pot. <laughs> and I think they're yeah. really they're really falling behind the times there because I, I don't think there's a lot of public willpower to to continue to lock up uh, at least you know just marijuana users. I mean I think even the overall the war on drugs thing is is much less popular than it used to be. But certainly marijuana use is becoming to the point where people think those aren't hardened criminals and. So I think Chris Christie and Rick Santorum are way out of step with public opinion on this issue, and and maybe that's that's probably not the biggest reason, but that could be one reason that they aren't doing well, along with many others. I think you're absolutely correct. Um, obviously, um, cannabis is not the number one issue. I don't believe going into the presidential race, uh, or not even close. But when you talk about economic reform and you talk about health care, and you talk about a lot of these other issues, um, jobs, this is a, something that's laced into all of those things. Um, sure. And so to, t- to take that um, far-rightist uh, move on is, is definitely not the right thing. The problem with a lot of these other, um, I guess, Republican candidates and saying, oh, we'll let the states allow it and this and that, but, you know, the big business model of cannabis does not necessarily correlate with the compassionate care side of cannabis. So right. moving forward, hopefully um, they make it so that the people who have maintained this culture and battled for it while it was illegal um, still give an opportunity to participate and the licenses are made millions of dollars and you have uh, essentially big pharmaceutical cannabis companies or 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 Marlboro of cannabis creating the whatever um, pesticide grown toxic garbage they'll put in whatever you know to get the to get the yields or whatever so um I guess that's the that's the scary part of that but the, I think the focus needs to be on the medical side um, I wanted to jump in here real quick, Anthony. And can you maybe talk about this? What what you what you how you feel about this? I'm out in California, and so our our marijuana laws are probably not as strict as. Are you still there? I think Naomi. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm here. Oh no, I'm. It sounded like Naomi had a question and then she got cut off. So, uh, oh yeah, definitely. Uh, she'll probably call back in. I don't know. <laughs> I think she was a mid sentence talking about California laws, so I'm not sure. But when she calls back in, I'll figure out uh, probably where she was going with that. Um, I was going to mention for our listeners in case you just joined us for about uh, about 38 minutes past the hour. But our guest here is Anthony Francosi, who is the uh, the uh, uh, runs the Honest Marijuana Company based in Colorado, of course, where, where uh, cannabis is legal. And uh, um, we're talking about, I guess, marijuana politics and and uh, and some of the issues surrounding that. Um, I was going to ask, how do you think um, the marijuana debate, I know it's not probably, like you said, the main presidential issue or something, but it does tie into so many other issues in, in ways that are important. And, and I think with a lot of millennial voters, it's a fairly important issue, probably not at the top of any of their lists, but certainly something that might be uh, something they're paying attention to. How do you think the debate will play out next year, maybe both in the presidential race and maybe just in general? Well, I mean, coming into the presidential race, the debate is going to be between this kind of... I I don't know. To be honest with you, it's really hard to, I guess, for myself being an uh, active participant in the industry to figure that out. Sure. It's going in so many directions. I mean, you're having this big business model being um, put in place on places, places like Alaska kind of leaving um, the small business model alone a little more where they're allowing licenses for anyone who wants them. They're not creating this huge value on the licenses. States like Connecticut putting million-dollar price tags on a medical license. So, um it's really hard to oh, say. Oh, yeah, One so there's thing a lot say, of difference. Huh? Yeah, there's a lot of difference. And um, I, I think one thing's for sure is I don't think it's going away. I don't see oh, anyone yeah. in the presidential <laughs> race, in my opinion, 
whose opinion is strong enough against it to overturn it. I think the public opinion is so overwhelmingly supportive, um, first of all, on the medical side, which I keep reiterating. But, you know, we sell alcohol in every corner in every town in this country, and uh, we, we talk about the uh, death toll that it causes, and uh, cannabis has such a vastly different effect and one that I would consider to be uplifting rather than down-pressing. So um, as, uh, the, the debate going forward is going to be how soon federal legalization comes, and that's really what I that, – that's my belief, but I, I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and, and hopefully, you know, maybe with Sanders rolling out the plan to legalize it, even if he doesn't become the nominee, he's sort of opened the door maybe for – for somebody else to take the ball and run with it because they're probably seeing that there isn't a lot of negative consequences for him taking that position. I mean, he's certainly, there's many positions that he's taken that people will call it a task, but not many people have said, oh my gosh, you know, (laughs) uh, legalizing marijuana, that's a deal breaker. I mean, I don't think you see that in the dialogue. And I think we have Naomi back, so I was going to let her ask her question again if if we can hear her. Go ahead, Naomi, if you're there. Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I'm going to throw this phone out the window. Um, (laughs) Anthony, I wanted to talk to you about the laws out here in California, so I'll I'll spit this out quickly because I don't know if my phone's going to let me finish up the rest of the show, but um, you know, out in California, we we don't our laws aren't as maybe strict as other states. Um, but I I do know there has been conversation where our state is still um, doing a lot of citing, arresting, and prosecuting marijuana offenders. Um, and the profits of marijuana sales go back to um, criminals instead of to responsible businesses and supporting our state budget. So we are pretty easy going with respect to marijuana possession and use, but they did cite um, in 2012 over 21,000 people for marijuana-related offenses. Um, I know that in October, Governor Brown signed into law, I think it was three uh, pieces of legislation. He did it to regulate business and serving uh, medical marijuana patients because we haven't had um, policy, basically, for that. So. I know that the Department of Consumer Affairs will have until, I think it's January, not this year, but 2017, um, to help oversee that. Um, but, you know, there's it just seems like there's so many ways that we need to stop discriminating against, you know, medical patients that choose to use marijuana marijuana as a, the cannabis as a, as a medical device, you know, as a medical option. And we need to stop... Um, you know the, the the constant war on on people that you know that have possession of it. Talk to us about that. You know, wh- what do you think needs to be changed so that the profits well, aren't going the, to criminals, but they need to go back into businesses and to our state budget? I completely agree. And California is absolutely um, still in wild, wild west mode compared to Colorado. <laughs> um, I, I I'm serious. I mean, you know, I've been out to some conventions in California because a lot of the technology and a lot of you know California has has really been operating this whole industry for a long time, way before Colorado or Washington and the other states were adopted recreational models. But the problem with California is is that it's such a huge market that when you start adopting these recreational laws, all of a sudden all the growers there who have been operating under medical laws in Northern California and all these other places uh, are saying, wait a minute, all of a sudden these licenses are going to be out of reach for us. We've been operating here for 30 years. My family grew here. My dad grew here. I was born in a grow out here in Northern California, and I'm not going to be able to participate because the licenses are going to cost some ungodly amount of money or something like that. And so that's really the problem when you move into this world is that big big industries come, come in and take over, and and unfortunately, that's not where the best medicine is going to come from. So that's honestly why I believe California is behind in this whole thing, because they've already voted on it a few times. Um, as far as why people are still being persecuted um, for cannabis use, um, you know, you still, do, you still do have to have a medical license in California. I think, you know, you're going to see that change but hopefully it doesn't change in a way where these farmers who in the northern part of the state 
have been operating organically. You know, they they spread all these rumors about the, these growers destroying the national forests and blah blah blah. These aren't California residents. These aren't people who are cannabis advocates. The people who care about the medicine are using closed-loop systems. They're growing their own nutrients. They're doing things that are beneficial for the land that they're farming on. And you're you're kind of hearing that name slandered because there are, you know, maybe some cartel presence or um, illegal growers in that area. But um, that's the big debate right now in California, is behind, in my opinion, is behind big business and the grassroots effort to maintain the culture that fought for legalization to begin with. But now that you're going to get legalization, the question is, how do you want it? And so right. that's that's really the question in California, I think, right now, is who who's going to get to operate? Is it going to be only um, big businessman who doesn't necessarily care about the plant or isn't necessarily an advocate for the patients, which is the law that just got turned down in Ohio, in my opinion, and that's why California has been kind of that holdout despite the fact that they've been operating um, the cannabis industry for so long. Right. No, I, I, I agree. I so, think yeah, it, you it, might... it's very, well, you get to that point where you have, you know, it's almost like that saying, be careful what you wish for, because you get, you get things, but then everybody wants a hand in the pot. Well, I mean... That was a bad analogy, but you know what I mean. Everybody wants yeah. to take a piece of the pie. I'll say that. Everybody well, wants all, to, to tear a part these, of it. All these interests who had no, who didn't have a care in the world for marijuana or the yes. beneficial health effects, uh-huh. um, they, weren't, they weren't operating because it was illegal or considered mostly illegal and and that, that's not their job. They wear a suit. They're not farming. You know what I'm saying? So now all of a sudden the licenses become a dollar value thing, and it's a commodity now. It's not necessarily medicinal. So um, that's why I think the small business model needs to kind of reign, and the licenses need to be available to the people who do their due diligence and kind of maintain proper business practices so that people have the option to go to people like myself who are growing organically and have the consumer in mind, and it's not necessarily the uh, Marlboro Red that's, you know, full of toxic material. Yeah, you almost get the sense that it's a battle between sort of, um, I don't know, in other sectors it would be like between mom-and-pop shops and Walmart, but here it's between maybe organic um, farmers and growers who are growing um, their own um product, you know, uh, environmentally sort of friendlier product that's healthier for people. And and uh, some of the laws, if they put them in place, you're going to have sort of weed mart or something, you know, the big box store that or or the big um, corporate company that, that is selling um, lower quality stuff for a bigger profit, but it's not as good for you. And of course, the company typically might not be as ethical because all they're worried about is, is, you know, the bottom line. And, and so I can see where, where that's, that's a debate for people who've been growing the medical product and probably um, doing a lot of things because they care about their customers and also about the product and then having them be pushed out because they can't afford the licenses would be an unfortunate sort of consequence if they don't do it right when they do legalization. Yeah. Which I think Colorado has been a great model for that. It's not necessarily a cheap industry to get into, um, but like starting any other business, uh, if you employ the best practices and uh, do the things the right way, you'll have the opportunity to succeed. And how many uh, how many different um, sort of suppliers or, or um, uh, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but how many different uh, um marijuana distributors are there in Colorado now? Are they in a bunch of the small towns too as well as the big metro areas or is it still sort of concentrated in the cities? Well, just like they let the state operate they wanted the way they wanted to, every county, every um, township has the opportunity to look at uh, marijuana and determine their own rules. Um, so we're sure. seeing, for the most part, um, a lot of widespread participation um, which is kind of increasing throughout the state. There's still a lot of holdout areas, but 
Um, there's about 400 cultivators, um, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I mean, that's a that's a fairly close number. 400 cultivators, a um, hundred and a quarter uh, infused products manufacturers making edibles um, and those types of things. And then you have another um, between four and 600. Might be less than that. Uh, recreational storefronts are combined with the medicinal. So um, definitely a lot of a lot of people getting involved, and I, I think ultimately what you're going to see is the underground market uh, not being able to uh, operate as freely because of that. Um. Anthony, I'm, I'm gonna in the minutes that we have left. I wanna I wanna talk to you about your little bit about you, um, before we before we head out. But um, you seem to have um, a drive, and this is something that's really important to you. The um, the 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 almost the passion of this, the the integrity, and something where you really want to make this. Um, a respectable and a um very um available um company or not company but your what you do you want it to be available and you want it to be very um well received you want to have a good reputation when you bring out the cannabis that you have as a as a far, you know I'll I'll say a farmer is that okay to to call you a farmer absolutely a pr- yeah that, I, that's a absolute compliment for sure and and it it just seems like you have this integrity that you want to keep with it that it's not you're not just in you know somebody's neighbor's backyard just playing with you know that you're just playing with it it's not a hobby for you this is something that's really important to you um t- tell us kind of how you how that started where you're you're taking it to that next step where you want it to be something that's available and it has, you know, integrity to it. This isn't something that you're messing around with. Like you said, it's chemical-free. It's good for the environment. It's good for, you know, you want it to be available to people that need it. Um, how did that happen? Well, or you are you know, it wasn't I, I just, started, you know, hobby. I, I, I guess my cannabis use started as a teenager, honestly, um, was, was totally as recreating. Um, as I kind of got older, I used it um for reasons maybe unknown to me at the time but I've always been a kind of adrenaline junkie I'm a snowboarder skateboarder uh rock climber mountain biker uh, that's why I moved to Colorado from New Jersey um so when I was having sports and indis- sports injuries um I was kind of not always turning to the medicine cabinet all the time you know um I I always use cannabis um, as a way to manage pain, as a way to kind of manage stress, anxiety, um, and, and those types of things. So I use it as a daily base, basis um, holistically, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. so when you take a plant that um, so many people have, it, what's more, I've been blessed um, with good health up to this point in my life, but for people who don't have that luxury, um it's a plant that they find greatly holistic. So um, when you take something that is grown naturally, existed on the planet for 3,000-plus years, and then you use chemical means to derive it so that you can get a better yield, uh, increase your profit margin, it, this isn't. It, it's not sustainable for the earth. It's not good for the people using it. So why take the natural plant and um, kind of dilute it with... Um, well, maybe they're going to say their potency is greater, whatever. But in my opinion, you're 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 screwing with something. Um, it's a recipe that doesn't need to be messed with. Um, so th- that's really what it comes down to for me. Um, I've been a landscaper for the past ten years in northern Colorado, and I've been working with soil conditions and uh, responsible water management. It's a big um, issue around here. So we want to do things in a way that's green, uh, closed loop for the most part. We're working on completely closing it. And and that's really the way that cannabis, in my opinion, should be um, given to people. So uh, Honest Marijuana Company, uh, my company, and that's our goal to kind of uh, unlift the kimono of 
cannabis cultivation and processing and that type of thing and let people know that uh, we have their best interest in mind, uh, whether they're medicating, recreating, uh, or otherwise. So. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. That uh, sounds like a responsible company. And, and we like that. We've had quite a few people on our show that run what we think of as responsible businesses. I mean, we've had uh, people like that run the, a burger joint in, in the Detroit area that started paying people $15 an hour, and they have um, also good ingredients and good foods. And it's always nice to see. I mean, we do we do allow us politics on here, and we have politicians and policymakers and activists. But it's always nice to have what I what I call sort of responsible entrepreneurs on too, because sometimes for our listeners who, you know, maybe are more conservative or something, everybody can respect. You know, they can respect entrepreneurs that are taking a pro, uh, product and 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 sort of making it better or doing, you know, a responsible business model because, you know, cause then, you know, even even libertarians and Republicans could say, hey, that's a good thing. You know, I, I can get behind that because we're not talking about using tax money or, or something necessarily or or things like that. So it's always exciting to have, I think, responsible um, employers or business people and, and people who are who are making a difference sort of on that individual um on that level within their communities or within the places they live. So I think that's that's really exciting and it's nice to tie that in with political issues, but also just to point out that it's a responsible business. And for, for any of our listeners who are in Colorado, I recommend that, uh, that you check it out. If, if you're somebody who either uses medical marijuana for, for something that you need a health condition, or if you're just a recreational user, I, I'd recommend uh, going through um, – through his company because, uh, uh, you know, it's probably a good product and um, better than maybe what you're used to. And, and also, you know, then you're, you're, you're buying locally and helping somebody with that's environmentally conscious and doing it for all the right reasons instead of giving it to a big, big grower that's probably just in there to make money. I don't, um, I guess we got about two minutes left, so I, I don't want to talk the whole time because I want to give uh, you a chance to, Anything else? Any anywhere people can go for more information, or where they can locate locate uh, your uh, company. So, in case they want to buy, or in case they want to share 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 information with their friends, um, you can find us uh, just about everywhere under the name Honest Marijuana, uh, honestmarijuana.com, um, Honest Marijuana on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, I recently released a small ebook on Amazon called The Definitive Guide to Organic Marijuana, which is a very uh, introductory piece of literature for people who might be more interested in kind of the organic cannabis movement or the organic food movement in general. Um, so those are great places to find us. Uh, thank you very much for having me on Um so yeah, that's 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 really where the best place is to find us is honest marijuana. Awesome, that's great, and we'll we'll put up a link too on our liberal fix page to to one of you know to the page or whatever, so people can can look for that along with our show. So we'll have that on there. And did you have any final thoughts, Naomi, before I take this to the finish line here? No, I just I was very interested, and thank you so much for being uh, with us tonight, Anthony. We've, love to do a follow-up show on you and, and best of luck to you thank you very much for having me i had a great time and uh, uh a lot of yeah thought-provoking topics so i appreciate it thank you very much uh we we certainly appreciated uh, your insight and, and everything you're doing uh keep up the good work and i guess on behalf behalf of our listeners uh this has been Keith Brackett, Naomi Benoz, and our guest, Anthony Sinsozzi, and we wish you all a wonderful weekend, and we'll catch you next week. All right. Thank you very much. Too bad. Thanks. Bye.